0: Second Corinthians chapter six. <clears throat> Going to be looking at quite a few different passages of Scripture tonight. Again, as we're considering, of course, we're looking at our uh, church standards of conduct. Workers at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and tonight I want to, again, just kind of back up and and uh, present some biblical truth as to reasons why. In um, Second Corinthians chapter six, and verse fourteen, says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness?" What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth in an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among you, from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Almighty. So again, I want to just lay some groundwork. I talked about you know the standards. First, we begin looking at this standards. The basis of standards is the holiness of God. And tonight I want to look at the the, the doctrine of separation as it's given in the Bible. And I find some things I'd had have had for years that, and I was looking through it today, and I thought you know this is this is really pertains to what we're we're looking at, so I'm going to use it tonight. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to most people's minds when the word separation comes up is, okay, what do I have to give up? What do I have to give up? Or you mean, I have to dress like that. Or I can't go where? You know, those are the commonplace, common things that are, are, are brought up. But the, the thing that is forgotten is the positive side to separation. Uh, here in 2 Corinthians 6, in verse 17, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So separation for the child of God, a proper separation is separation from the things of the world to God. It's, it's really the idea of is casting off the things, you know, and we talk about Ephesians 4, where it talks about putting off the things of the, the former man, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and put on the new man, which is created after righteousness and holiness. So the really the idea is separating from those things of the world or forsaking them and drawing nearer to God into a more intimate relationship with God. That is the idea here. And that was to be so there's there is and there is fruit to separation but our our reaction often shows our heart or a lack of understanding of it. And it really is a hard issue as I said earlier. Now, and so as we want to look at this tonight, first of all, I want to look at the purpose separation. I'm going to look at three things, three categories the nation of Israel, the church, and a Christian. And we're going to see that God commanded separation. It is basically the same reason and purpose for all three. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. So we begin Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 19, and verses 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation." These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, does anybody know whether it's that, that almost these, these exact same words are repeated in the New Testament? But not to Israel. 1 Peter 2.9 You know, we you, uh, I can't remember, I kept trying to think how, how to quote it now. I'm having one of those intellectual overloads. Um, anyway, senior moment. But anyway, but anyway, as it pertains to Israel, now these same words. Now there's two words here. I want you to draw attention to, and they are peculiar and holy. And these same two words are used in Deuteronomy 14:2, and again in Deuteronomy 16:18 to 19. Again, he's talking to the nation of Israel, and that they were to be a peculiar and a holy people unto Him. The word peculiar in the Bible means a valued property or a valued possession. Peter says, for ye are a peculiar people and holy nation. 1 Peter 2. So, and again, it means a valued property. And, it, and of course, the word holiness means to be separate from. That's the idea of holiness, holy, being separate from. Those things are defiled. And, of course, we're commanded over and over in the Bible to be holy people. So three times God speaks to Israel and he says, you're to be peculiar and you're to be holy. You're mine. You're my purchase. I redeemed you out of Egypt. And Egypt, of course, is type of world for a child of God. We've been redeemed from the corruption that's in this world. Uh Now, what was the purpose? So, so what is the purpose of them being a peculiar and a holy people? Look at Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. And as I said, this is true of Israel. We're going to see it's true of the church. It's true of us as as individuals as well. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So his purpose for uh, Israel being a peculiar and a holy people was that they would be a light to the Gentiles they were to be a light to the nations around them, and you know there were a few nations around them that brought gifts to Jerusalem um, yeah trying to have another senior moment um, what's what's the the guy that helped Solomon with the temple was a lover of David Hiram you know Hiram brought many gifts to Jerusalem you know i, I I kind of think that Hiram was a saved man. He, he, he accepted the light or the witness of the nation of Israel, David and Solomon, to him. Uh, and he helped them. He helped them build. He did, he did much work. He built a lot of the, the, the uh, uh, furnishings of the temple. Uh, you see, the nation of Israel was to be peculiar and holy for the purpose of reaching the Gentiles. They were to reach the nations around them. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now let's look at the church. Hebrews chapter, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 27. <clears throat> Ephesians twenty-five twenty-seven says this. We're talking here about the church that Christ gave himself for, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle in any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here he gives two characteristics, and that it be holy and without blemish. And if something is to be without blemish, you know, in this sin-cursed world in which we live, I think you would call it a little different, or a little peculiar. Uh, something that, you know, that would, would, would be distinctive. And, and so the church was, again, to be holy. It was to be without blemish. And, of course, we know the church's purpose is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. In Acts chapter 13, when, in Paul's missionary journey, first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, and one of the things they, they said was were to be a light of the Gentiles. Uh, you know Acts one eight, ye shall be witness. That's that was a command given to the church, the first church. Go into all the world. You shall be witnesses unto both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So then, a church then is a holy and peculiar group of people for the purpose of reaching the lost for Christ. So, so we see that of the church now. Go to Titus chapter two, Titus chapter two, and verse fourteen, Titus two fourteen. Of course, you could also go to First Peter two nine, but we'll, we'll we'll look here or Titus two fourteen again. The same words are used here. Titus two fourteen says. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Uh, and then first Peter 2 9 says, For you are a peculiar people, a holy nation, uh, that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. So, you know, again these two words appear here: peculiar and holy. Uh, and, and that is, of course, the purpose of the, the Christians left here, according to Matthew 5.16, we're to, we're, to, we're to be a light. Uh, Let your light so shine before men, that may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we are to be a light of the gospel before men. So that really, if you, you think about it, this, the job description of Israel, the church, and the child of God from God's viewpoint, is to be a light to the lost world. And in order to do that job, we have to be wholly set apart and peculiar. You know, we are his. You know, and since we are his, we need to have a right representation of him. Now, there is, a secondly, a predicament. Without separation, there's a predicament. You know, when it comes to applying separation in our lives, there's there's three problems we encounter. Um, you know, our past experiences. Sometimes we can't cannot allow our past experiences. You know, we cannot allow our past experiences to corrupt our present application of what the Word of God teaches. You know, some people say, "Well, we didn't, we didn't do it this way." Or you know maybe the, the the way they their upbringing how they view things well we can't we can't let that dictate what the word of God says or our present preconceived ideas. All of us come to the Bible with preconceived ideas. If you've been if you've been raised in a church of particularly some other kind than a Baptist church, some of you, some of you young people and some of you older ones maybe as well, You know, all you know is a Baptist church. But even in that, you know, many Baptist churches don't really examine the scriptures concerning particular things. Uh, you know, I had some preconceived ideas when I started attending a Bible-believing church. I had some preconceived ideas about eternal security. I had preconceived ideas about baptism. What I had to learn was i got to forget my preconceived ideas. And I've got to see what the Bible says and accept it for what it says. And I've got to throw out my preconceived ideas. So that's that's the second predicament we have. And, and so we have to lay aside those. In and then, of course, the future, you know, the separation is going to affect our friendships and our career. It can affect that. I mean, when I started following and obeying the word of God and applying separation in my life I lost friends I didn't try to lose them I just did and some of them you know I didn't want to be around anymore because of the things that they promoted and, and you know and speech and so on and so forth I, I lost friends uh, um, you know there were, there were family members upset with me at different times and it did affect my career Obviously, I'm not a farmer anymore. I still like farming, some of it. Um, but, you know, those are the things that affect it. So, you think about this. The, these things can affect our, our, our separation. And so, we need to, when we, we need to be willing to apply. Uh, so let's look, first of all, the nation, again, the nation of Israel was to be a light to the lost world. But, again, they, when they chose to amend God's guidebook, They chose to amend the Word of God and attempted to write their own version of the Bible based on their own preconceived ideas and preferences. Do you know what God did with them? He set them aside. Look at Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, verse 8. Let's, let's start at verse 7. And notice who he's really particularly addressing here. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. This is addressed particularly to the priests. And they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way, and notice this next phrase, ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, Israel started writing their own, setting their own standards. The priests started setting their own standards. You know, particularly when you were talking about the book of Le- or Malachi here, the priests were allowing the children of Israel to bring corrupted offerings and sacrifices. You know, that lamb that was to be brought was to be without blemish. It couldn't have a blind eye, or a, a broken leg, or, or a cut tail, or you know, it was supposed to be a a perfect specimen, the best they had. But no, the priests were accepting it, were allowing it. And what that really does is shows a disrespect for God. You see, when we set our own standard of holiness, we're showing a disrespect for God. Second Kings chapter seventeen, second Kings seventeen and verse fifteen, second Kings seventeen and verse fifteen Talking about the ten tribes, and this is why they were carried away. 2 Kings seventeen fifteen, And they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain, when after the heathen were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, that they should not do like them. So they, they rejected God's statutes and God's commandments, and followed the, the things of the world, the, the nations around them. And that were vain and empty. You know, so instead of being a light to the world, they became like the world. And they could no longer be a light for the Lord. You know, they were told not to be like the world around them. But again, they, they, they uh, became like them. So they're no, lo, no longer usable by a holy God. Well, let's, let's look at some churches. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. You know, we know there were some churches in the book of Revelation that were in danger of this. They hadn't yet lost their light. But they were in danger of it. Revelation 2, verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. So this church was about to lose its candlestick, to lose its status as a church of the Lord, because it had fallen away, from the Lord. Uh, it's not explicitly stated here. It says they just left their first love. They didn't have that fervor. You know, and that, that that fervor or that love for the Lord is the first thing that goes. And you know, the children of Israel lost their joy. When they lost their joy of serving the Lord, guess what they started doing? Turning to the world. When the Lord's commandments become burdensome to you, you're in of going the way of the world. And I'm afraid that's what's happening here. You know, normally a church doesn't go from a weak stand regarding separation to a stronger. The tendency is, and we know all these churches um, and, you know, within the first few hundred years probably were apostate. We don't hear much more about them. We don't hear anything more really about them after this. Uh, but, so normally they go from a from weak stand, and they usually get weaker, because it, it's made up of human beings. Of course, they deteriorate. Uh, the of the Laodicea, chapter 3, had a similar problem. Chapter 3, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I would spew thee out of my mouth. And so, they, they, had, they, were, they were putting forth a, a muddied picture, you might say. Of what a believer, what a church should be. And God was prepared to reject them too. You know, it's God reserves the right to remove his candlestick from his churches. You know, people don't decide when that happens. I mean, they're the cause of it. When they when they start departing from the Lord. But the Lord will, will remove that candlestick. There isn't anything they can do to keep it if God decides it's done. All right. Now let's look at a Christian. Go to Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse fourteen. Second Samuel twelve, verse fourteen. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse fourteen. You know, as individuals, you know a church's testimony is important. Of course, a church is made up of individuals. And as individuals, our testimony is also of vital importance. In Second Samuel twelve, verse fourteen, let's read verse twelve to get context. For that, this is, of course, Nathan is speaking to David, uh, confronting him about his sin. He said, "For this, thou, for this for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun." And David said unto Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And Nathan said unto David, "The Lord also hath put away thy sin; thou shalt not die." How be it? because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So what did David do? David gave great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. You know, we should not be the kind of people I remember a preacher saying one time, he, soon after, um, i trying to remember what the occasion was, Anyway, he was out visiting with a guy he really didn't know very well. And he said they knocked on this door. And when the guy opened the door and he, they began to witness him, this man said to the guy he was with, if you're what a Christian is, I don't ever want to be one. He do not want to ever be a person like that. And David here, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. And David, you know, David got right with God. But yet, because of his sin, he gave great occasion or cause for the enemies to blaspheme the name of God, to reject him. Look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans 2, 22. Thou sayest, Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, thou through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. As it is written, you know. So Paul's writing, and to the to the when he's talking about the Jews here, and and Jesus, you know, would said similar things to the Pharisees over and over again. You know, he called them hypocrites, white walls, open sepulchers, and all those things that he that he referred to them as because they had a double standard. And and he said, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know they they are the ones that should have should have received the Messiah as their Messiah and yet they rejected him. You know they didn't they didn't keep the law. They had amended it to suit their own needs, their own wants. And so we as God's children need to be holy and peculiar So there's nothing about our testimony that puts forth an unclear message about who the Lord is. You know, God is a holy and righteous God. So, that being said, some principles to guide separation. Number one, am I willing to be crucified? We have to be willing to do God's will. No matter what it is, and not put stipulations on it. You see, so often we say, "Well, I'll do this, this, and this, but I won't do this, this, and this." I remember a pastor friend of mine he was retired, when we were still in Maine. He re- he retired from the pastorate, and he he had he started holding fellowships for pastors, and he. Would take names of people and he filled in filled pulpits for churches that didn't have pastors and tried to help them get pastors, things like that. You know, anyway, he was, we, we were, my wife and I were having dinner with him one, one day and he said that he had this guy call him and uh, was interested in pastoring a church, but he said he w- didn't want to go north of Bangor, Maine. He said, I didn't even write his name down. What's he doing? He's putting stipulations about where he'd go. I mean, if I put stipulations, I wouldn't be in North Carolina. It gets too hot in the summer. <laughs> Nothing against you people. It's just too hot in the summer. You know, no. We have to be willing to do God's will, no matter what it is. I told the Lord, I'd go anywhere. So, you know, John seven seventeen says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself so if any man will do his will so if any man is willing to do God's will God will show it to you the secret of the Lord is that with them that fear him and he will show them his salvation so the question is am I willing that's the question Am I willing to change? Am I willing to give this up? Am I willing to separate from this, this area or this thing in my life? Am I willing? I have to be willing to be cruci- You know, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He said, I die daily. It's not a list that we can pick and choose what we want. We, there's no such thing as smorgasbord Christianity where you go to the buffet and pick out what you want and leave what you don't. That's not Bible Christianity. So, we're willing to be crucified. Secondly, will my God be glorified in this? Do, we are to do that which glorifies the Lord. See, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So does this thing glorify God? That's the question we ought to ask. Does this area of my life, or this thing that I'm doing or participating in, or the things that I say, do they glorify the Lord? You know, Psalm thirty four three says, O oh, magnify the Lord with me. You know, were to magnify the Lord with him. Let us exalt his name together. So we are to magnify the Lord. So does that do that which glorifies the Lord? So will my God be glorified? That's the question we ought to ask ourselves. Thirdly, will my Christian brother be edified by this? We are to do that which edifies one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, the context here was particularly eating things sacrificed to idols. So it was a questionable, something that was questionable and could be a stumbling block to some people, particularly new Christians. And Paul said, if it doesn't edify my brother, if it will cause a stumbling block to my brother, I won't eat it. I won't eat it. Well, some people say, well, he can just get over it. No, that's not an attitude we as God's people ought to have. We're we're not to live unto ourselves. So ask yourself, does what I am about to do edify, that is, make me or the situation better or worse for someone else or for myself fourthly will i become preoccupied in other words will it cause enslaving habits first Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 again all things are lawful unto me but all things are not expedient all things are lawful for me but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we could ask ourselves the question, could this activity be habit-forming and enslave me? You know, one of the big issues that you read about today is the, the enslaving habit of gaming. Um I remember David Clad had an article in the Old Timothy about it was titled Gaming Widows. About and the article was about men who are so so enslaved or obsessed with with computer games that their wives are actually widows. they feel like widows. You know. Yeah, uh, you know, and that, it could be it could be a wide variety of things that can be uh, habit for me, you know, that could enslave us. We don't want to be brought under the power of any. Uh, Would this cause another to be disqualified or cause others to stumble? First Corinthians chapter eight, verse twelve. First Corinthians eight twelve says, "When you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ." Uh, and then again, Romans fourteen thirteen. Romans fourteen, thirteen. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So, you know, will others be adversely affected by what I am about to do? You know, um, we have to be careful. You know, there are things that the world looks at that things the Christians shouldn't do, but a lot of Christians do them. We shouldn't do them. I remember uh, Pastor Palmer one time saying he was speak he was preaching. Um, I don't know what the message was particularly about, but it was part of it was dancing. And so, this girl who had gotten saved was thinking about going to this dance. And, and so um, she asked somebody about it, and they said, well, do you think that would please the Lord? And she said, I don't know. So she went to the dance. And while she's dancing with this handsome young man, she asked this handsome young man, are you a Christian? And he stepped back and said, no, are you? And she said, yes, I am. Then what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, and of course, in this context, it's talking about causing again causing a brother to stumble. We don't do anything that would cause someone to stumble, as David did. He caused many to the blaspheme. Uh, number six. I'm not sure how many. Where I'm a letter F. Will my testimony be nullified? I think it's number six. Will my testimony be testimony be nullified these are all as you could see uh, end with eyed so uh, Romans chapter 14 verse 23 Romans 14 23 and he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith whatsoever is not of faith is sin so do I have peace from God in this action can I do it in believing that it is right Or is it going to wound my conscience? Do I have peace with God from this action? And let me me give you a little warning here. I believe that if a person persists long enough in wanting to do something, just like Balaam did, God will let you. God will say, go ahead. Go ahead. But you know what happened, Balaam? God met him in the way. God may let you, but it's going to bring hardship and trouble in your life. You know, I believe that, that... that a person, a child of God, I believe a child of God can persist in having their own way and until they feel it's okay by God. And God finally says, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Daniel and I were out visiting some time ago. Visited with a man who... I asked him about his salvation. He was very general, and he went into this long story—this long story about how God just met every need. And he told God he had to have this, and God, God provided it for him. So you know, that's—I didn't know that was proof, but you know, according to him, that was proof that you know, God just met every need. He just—he—he he gives God credit for these things. And the funny thing is, when he left there, Daniel said. Dad, do you really think he's saved? I said, I'm not convinced. You see, we need to be sure according to the word of God that it is God's will. And not have doubts. Not do something that is doubtful. Uh... That could wound our conscience. And so, you know, our guide then, and it comes to a matter of separation, ought not to be what is wrong with it. But we ought rather to ask, what is right with it? Or, how will this bring glory to God? Now, I've heard people say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, let me say very candidly, it doesn't matter what you see or don't see. What really matters is what saith the Lord. I've heard people say, Well, I'm just not convicted about it. Well, if the Word of God teaches it, you better get some conviction. You know, that, that really raises a lot of questions in my mind. Number one, are you open to it? Are you willing? That is the key. Are you willing? God doesn't reveal things to us if we're not willing to obey them. And he doesn't reveal things to us when we're not his child. Are we willing to obey? Are you willing to examine your life, your loves? Or is it you just don't want to do it? This little poem goes like this. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the evil in the world, the wickedness and sin, can never sink the soul's craft unless it gets within. And see, it's up to us. Your God has given us in his word commandments things that we are to separate from and we are to separate to Him, the question is, are we willing to heed them? Would we ask, before we do anything, ask, we ought to ask the question, what is right with it? How will this bring glory to God? How will this help me in my relationship with the Lord Or is it going to enslave me and take me away from my relationship with the Lord? Those are things we need to consider. As we, again next week, pick up and continue on with standards or commandments that God gives us in his word concerning our separation unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again the time of your word tonight, thank you for the simplicity of the truth of thy word. And I pray to you, Father, that you'd help us just to give heed to your commandments. Help us to allow you to search our hearts. Help us to be willing to uh, surrender uh, our lives, every area of our life to you. That we might bring glory and honor to you as individuals and as a church. That our light would shine brightly for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.